All right, we have been in this sermon series now for a couple months where we are looking at the faithful life of one of the most important people in the Bible, and that's Abraham. Abraham, who had become the father of the nation of Israel, and his faith set him apart from many people. Now, throughout these chapters in the book of Genesis, we have seen uh, an amazing active faith. Like, it's not just a passive faith. It is an active faith from Abraham, even when others struggled. But we've also seen where his faith faltered a little bit. Like last week, when Rick looked at the story where Abraham and Sarah wanted to speed along God's plans by having a baby, um, or his plans uh, that were to fulfill the promise of a great nation coming from him. And um, as we've seen before, Abraham does rebound from this impatient faith in the passage that we're going to look at today. Today we're going to look at a very important prayer that Abraham prayed, not for himself, but really on behalf of an entire city. Anybody here good at bargaining or haggling or doing anything like that? Bargain shopping, haggling? Awesome. I am with people that are like me because I hate it. I hate bargaining and haggling. Bargling? I hate that too. I hate bargaining and haggling. Like, not my, I, I'd rather just the price be the price and let's just move on and I'm, I'm fine paying for it. Car dealerships, not my friend. This is so much not my skill. I went, when I had an apartment, I went and bought a sofa and uh, went to the place there off of uh, Arlington. And I walked in, found the sofa that I liked, big green couch, and they, the price tag was there. And so I was like, I would like this sofa. He's like, okay, so do you want to finance it or anything? I'm like, no, I'm going to pay for it. He's like, oh, well, I'll give you $50 off. I'm like, okay, that's fantastic. So, I mean, he did the haggling for me. It was great. Now... I ask this because I, I want to ask, like, have you ever tried to bargain or haggle with God? Like, I think about all those prayers when I was growing up where I would ask God for something that was so important to me, like, uh, you know, probably a toy or winning a baseball game or something, you know, super important and special like that. You ever have a prayer like that? Like, what do we usually do in those kinds of prayers? You know, you, I would always promise God that I would do something for him. Like, if you would only get me that toy that I wanted, that amazing Batmobile toy that is so cool and I need it, then I will totally read the Bible, like for the first time ever. Or I'll never say a mean thing to my mom again, which is really mean because my mom's awesome. Or whatever you could come up with for that prayer. Anybody else ever pray those kinds of prayers? It's like you're negotiating or bargaining with God. Well, today we're going to look at a time where Abraham is visited by God. And he's given some wonderful news that he'd been waiting for since God first appeared to Abraham. But he's also going to get some disturbing news that's going to affect the lives of many people, including his nephew, Lot. And if you remember, we've spoken about Lot a couple of times already. He's Abraham's nephew, and Abraham loved him very much. Uh, we saw when he gave Lot the choice of some of the best land when they needed to separate in order to sustain their livestock and their people. And then Lot was taken captive as part of a war between these nine different 
kingdoms and clans. And Abraham brought together this rescue team and went in and the, under the cover of night and defeated four of those kings, the four victorious kings, and, and rescued his nephew. And now Lot is about to be in trouble again. Only this time, his very life and the lives of his family are going to be in grave danger because God is preparing to destroy the city of Sodom where Lot was living. Abraham speaks with the Lord on behalf of the people of Sodom with a prayer of faith, seeking to rescue the people there, especially his nephew Lot and his family. But before we look at that conversation with God, though, let's look first to the Lord's appearance that leads up to this. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn them to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18, we'll start in verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and, and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk in the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Well, then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. In this chapter, we start by seeing the Lord and two other men who we're going to find out are angels visiting with Abraham. Now, this is the second time in two chapters that the Lord has visited Abraham directly. Theological term for this would be called a theophany, which basically just means like a visitation, a physical manifestation of God to humans. Now, there are some people who believe that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, that Jesus is the form that God took uh, long before he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And I'm going to be honest, I have no idea if that's true or not. Um, I don't, there's nothing in scripture really to support or refute that. Uh, we just really don't know. But it's, a, it's an interesting theory. It's interesting to think, though, about how God would have appeared, especially since as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see a number of times where it says, you know, you cannot look on the face of God and live. So in the chapter before this, though, in chapter 17, God appeared to Abraham, and he told him that Sarah, he and Sarah would be having a son, even in their old age. And Abraham was around 100, Sarah was around 90 or so, and they were, they were to name him Isaac. 
He visits them again now and after Abraham provides the three visitors with hospitality, with, their, with food. Um, God tells Abraham that by this time next year, he's going to be a father. And unlike in the previous chapter, Sarah's listening from the tent and she laughs to herself when she hears this. God knows and he asks why she laughed and wondered if she, and she wondered if she could really have a child at this old age. And then he hits them with this wonderful question, one that somebody with faith has to ask, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, surely not. But how many times do we live our lives like there is? How many times would we laugh like Sarah laughed and Abraham laughed in chapter 17 when God promises us something? Do we live a life of faith where the answer to that question is emphatically no? No, nothing's too hard for God. He created everything. He sustains everything. What, what can be too hard for him? What would it look like for us to live our lives, for you and me to live with this question at the forefront of our minds? What, what, would that change how you pray? Would it change your prayer life? Would it change what you would ask the Lord for? Even if we know that the answer might sometimes come back different from what we're hoping for, would we at least ask? So with that in mind, let's look at what Abraham did following this conversation. He takes that question, is there anything too hard for the Lord, and begins to ask something that would require a lot of faith. We're going to see Abraham's prayer of faith here. And so we start to see the situation that he's appealing to in verse 16. So when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So these men are getting up to leave and they're walking toward the city of Sodom and Abraham is going along with them. The Lord shares his plan with Abraham after, mentioned, after mentioning the covenant that he had made with him. God says he's going down to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because there's an outcry against them because of their sin. And that sin is such that you know, he's going to go down and check and see if it's as bad as the outcry that has reached his ears. Now, I, I, I don't think God brought Abraham into this conversation accidentally. Abraham hears this plan and... and so he knows what's going to happen. And God doesn't specifically say what's going to happen to these cities, but it's implied that nothing good is going to come to them. The two other men, the angels, they continue to go to Sodom, but the Lord remained. Now, the text here says that Abraham remained standing before the Lord, but that's not quite exactly how the Hebrew is written. Um, there, the, the manuscripts actually say that the Lord remains standing before Abraham. Now, according to some commentators, there was a scribal tradition to actually change this because they felt it, would, it was wrong that the Lord would be the one standing in front of anyone because he's God. 
Instead, Abraham would have been standing before the Lord because God is God and no, you know, he stands before no one. But even though this is something that the scribes of these manuscripts changed, they actually made notations in order to indicate this. It's not unlike the footnotes in our Bibles. And actually in our footnotes, you, uh, some of them, I think the NIV has this, where you can see that that's uh, in the footnotes what it says that the Lord remains standing before Abraham. Um, the original reads is, is that the Lord could have gone down the so- to Sodom. This is how uh, it, it feels to me like it reads. The original, uh, the, the Lord could have gone down to Sodom, but he remained before Abraham. And the, then there was a reason for his staying. And that's what we're going to read here, verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham spoke up again. Well, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. And once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? And he said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, may the, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, may, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Now, this is not the typical prayer that we normally think about when we think of prayer. But this is perhaps better how we should approach prayer. We don't think about being in the physical presence of God like Abraham was here. Would it change your prayer life if you were, like in God's physical presence, like God standing before you. Would that change how you would pray? That's why it's good for us to remember that God is spirit and with us at all times, as David writes in Psalm 139.7, where he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Abraham approaches the Lord here with boldness and maybe with some desperation. Why? Well, his nephew Lot is living in Sodom. And as we've seen throughout the series, Abraham loves his nephew. I mean, think about this. Before he had kids, Lot was probably the closest thing that he had to his son. He's already saved Lot once when he was captured in those wars between the kings. And now he knows the plans for the Lord for Sodom. And he uses the only option that he's got, and that's to speak directly to God. E.M. Bounds writes, uh, the praying of Abraham was no mere performance, no dull, lifeless ceremony, but an earnest plea, a strong entreaty, one person with another person. Its purpose was to have an influence, to secure a desired end. 
Abraham came with nothing to offer God. He had nothing, but he still attempts to save that city. The only thing he can do is plead with God's own nature that he would not destroy the righteous along with the unrighteous. And so he begins by asking that if the Lord could find 50 righteous people, would he destroy the city? And God said no for the sake of 50. And Abraham continues, what about 45? What about 40? 30? 20? 10? If 10 righteous people could be found, God said he would not destroy that city. And then that's where it's left. God leaves. Abraham goes back to his home. Now, could Abraham have gone lower, like tried to go lower? I probably. Some people believe he shouldn't have stopped at 10, that maybe he could have taken it down to one, and God would have withheld the destruction of Sodom and these other cities for the sake of one righteous person. And it's also possible that Abraham knew that he had made his point, made his hope known, and that God would do what was best. After their conversation ends in verse 19, we read about what happened to the city of Sodom. And we don't have time to get through the entire chapter, so I hope that you would take some time this week to read it. But to give you the highlights of this, there, there are two angels that were with God earlier, and so they head to Sodom. They arrive there, and they come across Lot, who, in the interest of hospitality, and perhaps because he recognized that these men were from God, these angels, he welcomes them into his home for the night. And some of the citizens of Sodom came and sought to do some wicked things to the angels, and though Lot tried to protect them in his house, he also didn't have a great response because he tried to uh, appease the mob by giving them his daughters instead. Doesn't seem like the right thing. And eventually the angels take control of the situation. They tell Lot that he needs to get his family together because the Lord is going to destroy the city. Lot gets his daughters and his wife ready. He also tries to get the men who are pledged to be married to his daughters to go, but somehow they thought he was joking, and they wouldn't leave. The angels tell them to go, but Lot still hesitates. And so the angels end up taking them by the hands and leading them out, telling them not to look back as the city is destroyed with burning sulfur from the heavens, which if you know this story, you know that Lot's wife does look back, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Lot flees to a nearby town, and that actually delayed the destruction of the cities until they reached it. And then chapter 19 closes with this verse, verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. He remembered Abraham, and he rescued Lot. Abraham might not have been able to save these cities from destruction, but his nephew was rescued his daughter is his, uh, Lot's daughters as well. And he was rescued because of this prayer of faith that Abraham offered. Abraham's prayer was a prayer of boldness and persistence. How bold is it when God tells you his plan that you seek to have him change it? <laughs> That's what Abraham's asking here. For the sake of his nephew Lot, and also for the sake of everybody else down there. None of these people knew what Abraham was doing. Most probably didn't even know that he existed. But there he was, praying for them. People he wouldn't have known, people who were wicked, were sinners. How bold are you in your prayers to God? For some reason, I think we could be even bolder than Abraham because we typically don't experience the theophany, God physically being present, manifesting himself before us. To me, that, that would be intimidating. 
And I think I'd have a hard time being as bold, but, but are we that bold in our prayers now? And then also, what are we praying for? Abraham wasn't praying for himself here. He's praying on behalf of the city of Sodom. And like we said before, that's a bold prayer to ask for a city as wicked as Sodom to be saved. But also, don't mistake boldness for familiarity. While Abraham's prayer is bold, he recognizes that he is standing before God. He appeals to God's nature, asking that he wouldn't destroy both the righteous and the wicked. Abraham says that he is nothing but dust and ashes, but he figures, I've been this bold, might as well keep going. That's the persistence as well. It's boldness and persistence. It's not simply being bold and asking God once, but it's continually asking. It's continually pleading with God. However many times Abraham speaks to God and asks him if he can find righteous people, the 50, 45, 30, 20, 10, if any of these are righteous, then would God not destroy the city? We are able to be bold before the Lord. We are able to approach him in a similar way. We are allowed to be persistent before him. I mean, Jesus told a parable of a persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. I just want to read that to you. Luke 18 verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she eventually won't come back and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Sometimes I think we can be quick to give up on praying for something. Maybe that's just me. But, but Jesus says to be persistent, to be bold. There's boldness to this woman's continuing to go before this judge. Now, we look at Abraham, and we think about the high priest. Abraham is similar to the high priests of the Old Covenant. They would offer sacrifices and prayers on behalf of people, and that's what Abraham was doing here. On behalf of these cities, Moses also prayed this way. I mean, think about when he was praying on behalf of the Israelite people to stop God from destroying them when they were worshiping a golden calf. But we've got a high priest who's even greater. Hebrews 4 talks about him. Verse 14, therefore, since we have such a great, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, the Son of God, knows humanity intimately. 
There's no struggle. There's no issue that you can bring to him that he does not already understand and he cannot already relate to. Like you can't bring anything to him that he doesn't know. He was tempted in every way that you are. And now that he's ascended to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the throne of God and he intercedes for you as a high priest. And so we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and with boldness and with persistence. And when we're there, we will receive mercy. And we will find grace that will help us in our time of need. It might not be exactly what we're praying for. Those cities were still destroyed. But it will be what we need. It will be God's best. Jesus tells us to pray. Ask anything in his name. And so do that. And do it with boldness and with persistence because we go back to that question that God himself said, is there anything too hard for God? Would you pray with me as we close out? Heavenly Father, Lord, there is nothing too hard for you. And I pray that each of us would recognize that, that we would live in that, Lord, and that we would have, feel the confidence that you are trying to give us to come to you with our prayers, with boldness and and just being able to come over and over and asking them. We just thank you that you have given us a high priest who knows our needs, who has lived as one of us and died for us on the cross tempted in every way as we are and yet did not sin. And because of that, he is now at your right hand interceding for us, praying for us the things that we can't pray for all the time, the things that we struggle with. You know, it talks about the Holy Spirit taking our prayers and and praying prayers on our behalf. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that plan that you put into place so many years ago. Thank you for people like Abraham who showed that it can be done. And thank you so much for Jesus because he is the culmination of that plan. He, Abraham is great. Jesus is greater. And Lord, help us to live in that and help us to continually boldly and with persistence approach your throne of grace. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.